You're listening to. Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. I'm an actor, producer, and entrepreneur here to share inspiring stories and to walk through everyday life with you. Hope you guys are doing well, staying safe, and staying healthy, and getting vaccinated. I'm all Pfizered up. I'm done with two doses. I think I mentioned this in the last one, but it was a tough 40 hours, but I survived. I'm completely fine. And uh, yeah, I hope you'll get your vaccine too. And if you're in the United States, there are plenty to go around. And we are very lucky for that. And also I might add, I know that like a lot of TikToks have been highly entertaining and cathartic. And there's a lot of tension around this. But let's be easy on each other. I think, you know, there's so much stress and hostility for a lot of different reasons. And I get it. Um, but I think right now what we need is to have an open dialogue and to inform each other better, to share resources, to get ourselves educated, um, to shut out misinformation, including you, Joe Rogan. Like, what was that even? Like, why would you? It's just ridiculous. I don't agree with what he said. I thought it was just incorrect. Um, but yeah, we have we have things to to process and work through. So just asking everyone, stay open, stay gracious to ourselves, to each other. We're still dealing with a freaking pandemic. It's still a rough time, even though there are parts of the world that are semi getting back to normal, which is wonderful. But even in that, we're dealing with like how to re-enter society. <laughs> like there will be an episode on that, so don't worry about it. Um but yeah, just a reminder, asking, encouraging uh, everybody who tunes into, first of all, stay awake and intentional and conscious, but also remain kind and gracious because we need it, including me. And I'm working on it like everybody else out there. So, yeah, sending big hugs. I love you. I believe in you. We can do this. Also, I want to send my deepest condolences and big hugs and uh, support out to India right now. They are really going through it. I cannot even imagine what it's like for anybody who's there experiencing the amount of illness and death that's happening and anybody who's anywhere else in the world just watching and feeling kind of helpless. It's it's a lot and um, they do need support. So if you can and if you're able to, please donate because they do need oxygen. They do need PPE. They do need supplies and support um so please donate to a reliable source if you can i'll do my best to share that and uh yeah even if it's just a matter of you sharing it on your social media letting people know that it's going on i know there's a ton of things that we have to sift through every single day but don't discount the impact of your encouragement and your um your advocacy like we're all we're all people we can all do our part Okay, and also sending out love because India has not been the only place, but they're going through it pretty much definitely the worst right now. But I know, you know, Brazil has been going through it. There's parts of the U.S. still and you know, there are parts that are more and more normal. I'm very lucky to be in L.A. where a lot of people are getting vaccinated. Things are opening up again. Um, but just a reminder not to bring you back down into the pits of despair, but let's not only think about ourselves and the impact on our lives, but how it's impacting our neighbors and how we can do little things to help each other out because a little bit does go a long way, okay? That's how we roll here. So first off, that's not even first, it's like second or third. (laughs) 
Happy Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. May uh, is APAM here in the United States. I'm really busy and tired already. It is usually like my busiest month besides like holidays um, every year for the last 12 years, and this year is no exception. And really excited and feeling really purposeful in celebrating the Asian American Pacific Islander experience, our identities, because we've been going through that and all of it for the last year plus with the anti-Asian violence. It's still happening. It's still painful. And um, don't want that to take away from us celebrating who we are, our heritage, who um, has come before us in terms of leadership, in terms of trailblazers and con- contributors to society, even the ones that are not put in some sort of spotlight, just the people in our lives that have helped make opportunities for us possible, who have you know, served in the military, who have built businesses, who have raised children, who have been teachers and providers and um, caregivers and frontline workers. There's so many ways that the API community has contributed to the fabric of society, and it's just a great time to acknowledge them and to celebrate that. And I think it is really important to do that, especially in the times that we're in. So happy APAM. And real quick plug, I am on the board of directors for Collaboration. I'm the former executive director, Collaboration with a K, and it's a nonprofit grassroots movement to elevate and discover and connect Asian American Pacific Islander storytellers and creatives and artists. So if you are interested in pursuing a creative career, you are currently pursuing a creative career, we've been in it, and you just want to check in with the community, learn a bit more, get inspired understand what the industry is like, what we are celebrating, and what work we have left to do. We are hosting the Empowered Creative Leadership Conference on Saturday, May 22nd. It will be virtual. It will be free to the public. It is our second virtual conference because last year it happened um, when we had to cancel last minute because we went into lockdown for COVID. So there will be keynote speakers, panelists, uh, virtual networking reception. You just have to register. So go to collaboration.org and register for free. And join in on the conversation. It'll be really great. Uh, Last year was really awesome. Even though it was virtual, it was still very inspiring. And personal note, Empower is my baby. It's the the program that I helped uh, start with my colleagues and my friends at Collaboration during my tenure as executive director. It means so much. And I am truly blown away by how willing people are to share knowledge, to share advice, connections, resources. People are really, really generous. I also want to like break down that stereotype of Hollywood. Yeah, it can be insular. And yeah, there are exclusive people. But there's a lot of people who are inviting other folks into the space, into these career opportunities. So don't assume that everybody's just trying to keep up all the secrets to themselves. There's tons of people who are sharing all their secrets, all their resources, all their advice, all their lessons freely, openly. And they want you to learn. And I want you to learn. And we all want you to Get into the space because none of us can do this alone. So whether you want to be in front of camera and be the performer or you want to be a supporter, be someone behind the scenes that's helping help make it happen. And that goes down in every every business structure down to like administrative things, to financial things, to accounting, to HR. It's, it's an industry. You know what I mean? So you don't have to be singularly like talent or writer or director to make a difference. You can make a difference by just participating in the creation of any project. So if you're interested, 
Highly recommend that you check out Collaboration, you check out other uh, partner organizations of ours that we work with and that we support. Come to the conference, learn a thing or two, connect with other human beings, ask questions, and like just get in because there's no better time than now, okay? Okay, so that's my plug for Empowered. And with that, I'm very excited to introduce this week's episode, this week's conversation, and this week's guest because meeting these guys has been really, really for lack of better words, it's been pretty life-changing for me. Um, It is solidified why I love podcasting. It also solidified why I'm scared of it, but in a good way. Uh, When I started, first of all, I had a a general idea that I wanted to share conversations that are not really happening, or at that time, 2017, that I didn't hear or see happening a lot in a public space. Um, conversations that I am privileged to get to have in my personal life with a lot of different artists and leaders and and trailblazers and change makers. And I thought it'd be really cool to contribute those perspectives into to the public sphere and let whoever wants to find them and, and interact with them and listen to them, find them. Um, and that meant to cover things that are personal to me, including the Asian American identity, being female, being millennial, uh, being a working woman, working in the entertainment industry, being an artist, being a freelancer, a lot of different parts of me that I wanted to share. When I met BT and Marcus, my guests, they uh, they were the ones inviting me onto their podcast, which is called Culture Score. And they were inviting me because them, them being two black podcasters who host a podcast called Culture Score that analyzes and reflects on the influence of black culture on entertainment and the influence of entertainment on black culture. What they saw was this huge surge of anti-Asian violence. And they wanted to speak on it, and they wanted to have somebody at the table to speak on it with. And by all the divine timing and inner workings of the universe and God, um, I was connected to them through Marcus's wife, Melanie. Hi, Melly. Thank you so much for the connection, who is my acting classmate. And she recommended me as a podcaster who talks a lot about culture and race and sexism and a lot of other deep complex topics and they invited me to be on their podcast and they created the intention and executed that conversation to reach out to me and we had one of the best most moving and humbling conversations of my life about the tension between the Asian and black communities I personally I have not seen this on YouTube I had rarely heard it. Only recently have I been hearing it talked about um, on a, on podcasts. And I was hearing about it in the aftermath of the Atlanta shooting on Clubhouse, which was super mind-blowing, like truly eye-opening. I wasn't hearing a lot of these conversations. So when they invited me to be on their podcast, it genuinely made me really grateful to be a podcaster and really intimidated because it's such a big topic. So this episode is me inviting them into my space, into my podcast, so that I can hear more of their story because they were so gracious to invite me into theirs so that we could demystify certain things, to be really honest and vulnerable about a lot of things, and to talk about our fears, our pain, um, our hopes, the things that we we feel like we need to change. And that is something that I have felt really compelled to be brave enough to say out loud and to share with the universe. So I am extremely honored that they would invite me onto their podcast and make it a priority for them to share 
an Asian American perspective and to talk about such a layered and complicated topic that is full of good and bad feelings across the board, across communities, because I think those are the conversations that can really make a difference and can really open eyes and hearts and minds and at least start or continue conversations that will lead to actual tangible change. So in light of the anti-Asian violence that continues to rage on and it breaks my heart and it does still plant fear in my heart and make me very uh, discouraged and chipping away at my sense of like, feeling that support and solidarity, even though I know those singular incidents don't paint the entire picture of all of everybody, I'm still just glad to be able to talk about these things. So as I mentioned earlier, BT, Ben Tubo, and Marcus Moore, um, they host Culture Show, and that showcases the influence of Black culture and entertainment and the influence of entertainment on Black culture. They seek out and explore the influence of culture scoring, where it's leveraged correctly and highlighting where it's missed or avoided. So I hope that you check out their podcast, um, but a little bit on them individually. Ben, or BT, he is a producer and entrepreneur and the host of Culture Score. He is developing a series of other podcasts on the Speak Studio platform to give agency to impactful people voices, and stories, and he is the co-founder of VIP Socio, which is a tech and data platform empowering Black entrepreneurs globally to keep and grow their businesses. So amazing guy, has been working in the industry uh, for a while. And Marcus, Marcus Timor, is a native South Carolinian, a Hampton University and a Virginia Tech grad, and he's an entrepreneur. He's currently residing in Los Angeles and is an avid traveler, sports fanatic, and film buff. Uh, you guys are going to get to know much more about them in this conversation, which I'm excited to. So, yeah, please listen with an open heart. I apologize that this intro is so long, but it just really means a lot to me that, I don't know, that they're they're willing to be here on my show and that we are able to do this together because I think that our intentions, I think, will be met and we can we can drive something really special from here on out. So also stay to the very end. Uh, for our featured music is MC Jin and Wyclef Jean, their new single called Stop the Hatred, which is so timely, so beautiful, so perfect for this episode and for what's going on. I hope that you enjoy it. And shout out to Jin. Thank you very much, Jin, for letting me feature your song. Um, Yeah, without further ado, here is my conversation with BT and Marcus from Culture Score. Enjoy. Came in 88 with a dream also oh bright eyed. They knew right away, sick of swim, there's no lifelines. Cutting their teeth on the move. Nobody's feeling the Welcome to first of all, Marcus and BT. It's so good to have you guys here. Oh, thank you for having us. Thanks, Minji. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're just like yeah. chopping it up. First of all, welcome to first of all culture score. I'm really honored to have you guys. Um, I, I spent a good while like hyping you guys up in the intro right there before we entered this conversation. But um, just to kick things off, you know, I, I want to welcome everybody, but also give everyone a chance to kind of share their story. Uh, the minute version, if you will, I'm putting you guys on the spot, but you guys are podcasters. So I'm going to let you fill out that minute how you please. Uh, Marcus, what's your story? Who are you? Where are you from? Oh, goodness. That's a loaded question. <laughs> I'm from the dirty South now. <laughs> I'm from I'm from South Carolina, as we say, uh, mm. originally from South Carolina. 
and been in the Los Angeles area for the past 15 years. I don't know where time goes. Um, I have owned a business. I have worked in entertainment. If you can do it, I've done it. I always say I work like a Hebrew slave. Uh, I should stop working so much. (laughs) We were (laughs) just talking about that. (laughs) Yeah, but I like to eat. So uh, in order to eat and live in Los Angeles, you have to work a lot. So, but no, uh, that's how that goes. And uh, so then I met up with Ben and we started Culture Score and we're trying to get to where you are. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully you can rub off on us and uh, teach us your magic. Hardly. Hardly. Whatever First I can of provide. All dust. <laughs> First of all, dust. <laughs> BT, what about you? What is my story? So, born in Cameroon, I'd say grew up in Minnesota via mm-hmm. Champaign Urbana, moved to LA, what, almost seven years now. So, June is going to make it seven years. Um, <gasps> Me too. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. You're following me around. I know. Actually, I think I'm end of May. I'm just just before you. Yeah, but yeah, basically, I was following you. You just killed my narrative. I'm struggling. I apologize. (laughs) You just took my thunder. I'm so sorry. That's that's really me. Um, Outside of that, you know, I love traveling. Um, Been in the entertainment space for a while. I love entrepreneurial stuff and the podcasting. Um, But I'm not a Hebrew. I'm a Cameroonian. (laughs) <laughs> just to distinguish the difference yep. yep in case people need to know difference and distinction i love it i love it well welcome to both of you i i've listened to culture score and i listened the first one i listened to was the episode on nomadland which i loved the film and i loved what you guys were sharing about it and um, as i mentioned in the the intro you know you guys are talking about the influence of black culture and entertainment and the influence of entertainment on black culture that's something that i'm so fascinated by in general about the way that you know art reflects life and how life reflects art and, you know, influences art. And I thought you guys were just so insightful. It was really great. And it was great to connect with Marcus because Marcus is married to my dear friend, Melanie, who I went to acting school with. So that's the connection there. Yes. She is always raving about you. And I was like, why do you have all these awesome people that I don't get to meet? And she's like, well, we're in a pandemic, crazy. And I was like, oh, well, that's true. But uh, you knew her before the pandemic. And she was like, well, blame it on my head and not my heart. So I just said, okay, let's make that happen. Also, Mark, you're probably working too much, you know? So could we have hung out? Yeah, if you needed your tire changed, because I can only hang out with people if they put me to work. I think that's what my story is. Apparently we're going to, we're resetting, you know, you're starting a new job recently. I know, but like we're resetting all of our life priorities, thanks to COVID silver lining. And then we can, we can make sure to balance it out with some, some good interpersonal relationship. Cause I, I too feel like I, I overwork. Um, and I just, I get resentful and burnt out and all that fun stuff, but it's, it's important, right? Like you guess you got to work, but I think life's got to be enjoyed too. I concur. We all need some balance. Yeah. I'm really curious though, because I'm still getting to know you guys. It was really great. I am so honored to be on your podcast to talk about a lot of what we're going to talk about today, but I'm curious um, if, if either of you are comfortable sharing a bit on your background in entertainment. I, I love to share these stories because there are so many ways that people can 
interact in this industry. Like when people think of entertainment industry, they always think of kind of like above the line people, which is like, you know, the enter- the people in front of camera and kind of writers and directors and producers, but there's so many other ways to engage. So I want love to learn that about you guys. If you guys are open to sharing a bit of sure, that background. Sure. Do you want to go first? Yeah. PT? yeah, sure. I can go first. So Minji, for me, I was, uh, I mean, entertainment, I don't even have a TV at home. I talk about. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true, everybody. That is really true. (laughs) But if you want me to watch anything, you got to send it to my phone for me to watch it. But really for me, um, I think the journey, I've always really enjoyed film and TV. I've really always enjoyed, you know, folklore. And that's kind of how I grew up in a house with a lot of people. My parents had eight kids and my dad raised like 500 more. So, you know, one of the past times, one of the past times, you know, when we're done scrapping for the food, we'll sit around and tell stories, right? So fast forward, a different world and a bunch of all these other shows. I've really always been kind of dialed into entertainment in a way, but I wasn't in the industry until I moved out here and I, um, I work for Disney. So I do Supply diversity work for Disney, um, which is really around, you know, the the vendors that we use to create shows, the vendors that we use to make Disney to tick, right? And so with that, and just working with, you know, stakeholders that are like movie exec and TV execs and trying to understand how that business works, it really sharpened my, my interest in a way that it wasn't sharpened before. So instead of me just enjoying a show, mm-hmm. I started looking at, you know, how is it cut? You know, how is it edited? You know, who's the director? And then I went to UCLA in an, an extension program. And that really just kind of codified it for me. So wow. that's kind of my foray into it. I've done, it's a show that I produced for, with one of my buddies. He was actually on the show, Tony, um, Consequences. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing the podcast. But between a mix of all of those things and looking at the entertainment industry critically and, you know, looking at ways that I can contribute to the changes that I want to see and how stories are tell and in how people are represented and in yeah. how people get in. Cause it's, it's sort of like, uh, for lack of a better way to say, it, it's sort of like an old boys industry where the power is really concentrated in a few places, mm-hmm. but I've had a chance to be able to influence some decisions for who comes in and, you know, how they come in and, you know, just help make connections, you know, help to bring different things to the table. So that's really how I got plugged into it. And so part of me really being in the industry and enjoying it is also wanting to be additive to it, you know, in ways that I think I can. And so I'm doing everything that I do um, that's related to it, you know, it's in that realm, in that kind of light of thinking of, you know, how can I be um, additive? How can I add value? Um, how can I help make some changes in spaces that, you know, we look at and we complain about, but we don't really see as much moving, right? So that that's my story around entertainment. Love it. Um, my story is a little different. I mean, I'm genuinely from a small town, from a small state. My town has probably 1,200 people in it. And, uh, but I was always that weird middle kid who (laughs) just loved the entertainment industry. I was, I was always impersonating people and just like to make people laugh and do my thing, but I never wanted to be an actor or a singer or a rapper or nothing like that. I was always super intrigued by the business side of the entertainment industry. Um, even in high school, I was subscribing to Variety Magazine 
and nice. a Hollywood Reporter. I just, I wow. was obsessed with it. And I was probably seven or eight and I would watch Entertainment Tonight, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Like I was obsessed with that stuff. And then when I went to um, my historically black college, uh, Hampton University in Virginia, I got an opportunity to do something that probably very few people get to do. And uh, I worked in student activities and I got to do concerts. So mm. the Fugees, uh, Biggie Smalls, Puffy, um, even even literary people like Maya Angelou um, had Chris Rock do a comedy concert, um, make connections at Vibe magazine at the time and uh, got to go to, you know, all type of award ceremonies and just got immersed in the entertainment industry. And after finishing up undergrad and then going to grad school, I got a master's at Virginia Tech. I had got accepted to Columbia University to do entertainment law. Uh, I don't mind dating myself. 9-11 took place, um, changed everything, uh, made going to New York a little uh, pretty much impossible. Um, my grandmother got really sick, had Alzheimer's. I stayed home in South Carolina to help take care of her mm -hmm. and just thought entertainment was gone. That was it. That, I would never touch it again. Um, the only job I could get was in staffing. I did that for a couple of years. Um, I became the COO of the company in nine months. Stayed there for two and a half years. Didn't love it. Started my own company. It's kind of crazy. That's how I met Ben. Disney brought is the reason that brought me out to LA. Wow. And next thing you know, I've hired for Warner Brothers, Disney, Fox, uh, you name it. And uh, so I just decided after quite a few years to create a succession plan. Um, and I've now brought in a new president to take over my, my company. And I decided to try something new. And now I work at Netflix. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> just a little, just a little we, something, something. We just dominating right now. <laughs> I mean, that's all I'm gonna say. That's all I got. Okay. First of all, I knew you guys were amazing because I got to like hang out and talk with you for a number of hours at this point. But like. This is the, this is this is a, the different dynamic when like I'm the guest on your show. You're just like talking and learning about me. Now I get to learn about you. This is I need a moment because wow. See, I'm more comfortable the other way. I know you are. I'm so I'm so much more like I seem like an open book, but I am so yeah, fiercely right? private, and I'm not good at talking about myself. So this is new for me. But you know what? You making me feel at home and comfortable. So. Let's, I'm let's very, dig in. I'm very honored to hear that. Both of you are incredibly impressive human beings, not just on like the professional level, because you threw out some very big names that, you know, I, 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 I am just like the rest of humanity of like very much in awe of the magnanimity of of Hollywood, right? When I I chose the place that I live because I wanted to be near Burbank, I wanted to be near Warner Brothers, and I wanted to be near Disney and and Comcast. Like I can see that outside of my window. That all of that was very very impressive to me. But the more that I've been in it, I have you know continued to learn. These are they're. We, we can critique it, which we do, and that's fine. We're podcasters and we have we have opinions and thoughts and feelings. But it's also like there's there's a lot of amazing people that I've met at these companies. And then when I see the kinds of content that is created with what level of artistry and thoughtfulness and like humor and strategy, like it's it, it makes me just like humbled because you guys 
things that are being made here really are leaving a really big imprint on the rest of society. And it sometimes eludes me because we're here, right? We're in the thick of it. And it's just, it's where you go to work and you kind of, you're like, oh, well, the coffee machine's broken. And there's, it's just regular life, right? Yep. But when you step out of it, that those are really big things. Those are huge things. So yeah. I just need to stand in awe of you for a second. Oh gosh, do not stand in awe. It's not oh, all of that. It's Me really too, not. Man. It's really not all of that. Now, <laughs> BT, when you see him, I usually have to kiss the ring. But, um, you know. <laughs> oh, that's the dynamic. Okay. <laughs> you know? And uh, But no, I'll, I'll tell you straight up, you know, I, I think even my family always said, you're going to end up coming to Los Angeles. Um, my, my first time coming out here was during the LA riots. Wow. I actually, my first visit was during the LA riots and I had a mentor who was kind enough to bring me out here and I didn't get to really see it because mm-hmm. I got here when the riots started the day, that day. <laughs> oh my and gosh. so I was like, oh gosh, I, I, all I want to see is LA. You know, I saw all the movies and I was like, man, people in LA got the best life, you know? And yeah. I, I would say something too, that, you know, I think a lot of people call, oh, Holly weird. Oh, people are so fake. I got to say, I don't know how you guys feel. Is there a level of fakeness here? Yes. But there's a level of fakeness in Atlanta. There's a level of fakeness in New York, Miami. It's everywhere. But I think what you put out is kind of what you'll get. I have been nothing short of fortunate and blessed. I think because I don't tolerate those kind of energies. So I've met nothing for the most part, but really awesome people out here. And uh, so for anybody out there who thinks L.A. is just a bunch of fake weirdos, um, you get what you put out, you know, because here's examples of two people I'm talking to now that, you know, as much as I joke, BT and Minji and I are getting to know each other really well now, like you guys are an example of what my experience has been since I've been here. Ninety percent of people have been amazing. I love to hear that. And I think. I agree. I, I, I'm very much a, and, and that can sound very LA funnel, like ironically, I, I grew I'm a California girl and I, I speak about like vibrations and energies, but at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, do you, do you feel good around being these, do you feel good being around these people or not? And there's a lot of kind of unspoken things that you can get out of a person just by how their presence is. And I, I agree with you, Marcus. I think it is really a lot about what you put out, you get back. And everyone's changing too. So it's not like, you know, it's a permanent thing. Um, but I, I think I feel very fortunate that I've been able to meet incredible people in LA at present company included. Um, and, and BT and I also arrived at the same exact time. So I'm curious, like <laughs> what that experience has been like for you, BT, just like Coming from Cameroon and through Minnesota and and then coming to LA, can you can you also share your your impression on what it's been like? Like were were we what we what you thought it would be? <laughs> or have you been surprised? No, not so much. I mean, to me, I think the part of LA that's been a little bit surprising is just how much of a disparity it is between I say the top and the bottom of LA. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I I think I talk about it often enough that one of the most cleansing things that happens to me in LA is when I get a chance to drive to like Skid Row and and see some of the things that you don't really associate with the glamour of Hollywood, right? Right. That's one part of it for me. The other other part of it is like I I travel a fair bit. And so I, I think I consider myself to be infinitely curious. So I come with an open mind and I look at things the way they are. And I can say, you know, my experience with LA has been great. 
Mm -hmm. I moved here from Minnesota to stick a shock, you know, for housing and food and all of those things, you know, notwithstanding. Outside of those, like outside of that, it's been great. You know, one of the things I tell folks in Minnesota who, you know, they always want to tease you about, my God, you know, your cost of your house is this and that. I'm like, dude, but you learn so much, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. I lived in Minnesota for 14 years. Two years after being in LA, I'd learned so much about possibilities. I'd learned so much about dreams and about hopes. And, mm -hmm. you know, you see people who, you know, they want to get into acting or they want to become... You know, whatever they want to become, there's so much competition, but there's just no give up in them, right? And then yeah. I, I tell this story all the time. This one time I was traveling and the guy that picked me up from from home, he was just overdressed. Right? <laughs> so he had like a white suit, a white watch, white you know, sunshades. And I was like, dude, what's going on? Right. <laughs> I'm like, dude, like this is driving somebody to the airport. Like what's <laughs> up. But he told me this story, which to me is a reflection of LA. He said, you know, brah, like this is my last day on the job. And I was like, tell me more. Right. I was like, tell me more. So he said his side gig was that he had a truck and he'd go to all these houses up in the hills and detail their cars. And he says, I charge them anywhere from 300 to 500 bucks. You know, they have Ferraris and Lamborghinis and all these cars that you see in LA, like peanuts, right? Yeah. But he told me that his only challenge, his challenge now has become being able to service them in a week. So he's acquired so many clients that he's struggling to keep up mm -hmm. and that he finally was able to get a loan to buy like two other trucks and hire some people. And so now he just became a manager of his business. He doesn't need to do it anymore. He just needs to improve um, the number of clients that he has. Wow. And to me, that's a reflection of what LA is. Um, you don't find many people in LA who only do one thing. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some people talk about Amen. it. And like, yeah, some people talk about it and it's like, oh, you know, you got to work two jobs, you know, to pay your house and this. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. Right. Because you just see people who are striving, you see people who are dreaming, you see people who are hopeful and you see people who transition from those very wild white elephant dreams to a sudden reality of what everything they were dreaming about. So it keeps people fueled up. It keeps people positive. It keeps people fighting. And with that, like in all competitive spaces, you will run into some people that are not quite aligned with the energy that you have or the person or the values that you have. And to those people, like, you know, Marcus said, and Minji, you've said the same thing. Like, you just got to keep moving because there's a lot of other people who are kind of in the same journey. If not the same, they're in a similar kind of mind space as you are. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, you know, they're going to motivate you just as much and they're going to, you know, inspire you just as much, right? So for me... That's really been my LA experience. Like, I love it. Um, I, I, I'd really argue that if you just moving to LA, is, it's expensive, like all of those things. But, you know, the, the opportunity cost mm -hmm. of not moving here, especially if you're somebody that has an open mind, if, especially if you're somebody who has dreams. Um, the opportunity cost of not doing that is, you know, you stay in Minnesota and what? You get a good job at, one of these big corporations, shockingly, Minnesota has a lot of very big corporations. They have great schools. It's a great place to live. It's, yeah, it's cold, so what? But 
<laughs> you can you you can have a great life. You can have a great life. You can have a house, mm-hmm. right? You can get a cabin up north. Minnesota people will know this. And you can you, you can go to school, work, retire, great everything in Minnesota. But you're never going to get exposed to the subtle things that people do that really get them in a place of happiness. I don't want to say wealth, right? Let's just call it happiness or like fulfillment because mm-hmm. there's, there's just so much more that you can do out um, out in the world. And I think LA's a very good, you know, microcosm of what the world is, in my opinion. Hmm. That is just so beautifully put. I want to just like... Isn't he eloquent? So like, my eloquent. Goodness. I don't know why I don't get that, BT. It, it must be because of you, English, English is not my first language. <laughs> and no. yet you handle it with such finesse. It is so impressive. I can't speak like that in Korean. Like, <laughs> not if my life depended on it. Wow. See, I can't speak like that in country. So that's all I got because that's what we talk in the South. So we, it's just English and then that's country English. So, yeah, I can't do that either. I, mean, I Marcus, I Marcus is the king of this country quotes. You just cruising for bruising. <laughs> <laughs> he is. And he's aching for breaking. Right. All of- <laughs> These are cultural exchanges that you cannot, you know, they're they're very valuable. Like I can't I grew up, you know, again, I'm a West Coast girl in Bay Area and LA, really, and I've been able to travel, but I love to I think like like UBT, I have like just this big curiosity to just understand how, why, when, what, where people live and how they live and why this preference and why these sayings and why this belief system, you know, I'm so curious about all of it. And I don't know, it's, I'm just, and, and this is probably how, what brought us all together to all be in this insane, but really fulfilling in its own ways uh, industry, because I think those narratives and those, those realities, and even like the imagination part of it, the stuff that hasn't exist, doesn't exist yet. And that we're creating as we go. It's all, I don't know. It's very, to me, it makes life worth living. I love thinking about the possibility and the, and then the research part of just understanding where we've been. Um, and I think that's something that kind of ties the three of us in terms of working in an industry that, that feeds into that. And also understanding the, the, the light and the dark of it too, right? Because we're not, I love that we have such a deep appreciation for LA and and kind of seeing past the smoke and mirrors really to really appreciate it because I, I think that that's what love is. Like love is not seeing it in its like rose colored glass version. It's like seeing it for what it is and appreciating it in all of its glory. But with us working in entertainment and with us being so fascinated by cultures and being curious and... um also, I, what I've heard from the three of us expressing and from what I've shared with you guys on your podcast is wanting to make change, right? Like wanting to make an impact because there are things that we see have not worked particularly well that that have um, that have been harmful in some ways, right? And that's what brought us to the conversation we had on, on Culture Score, which was talking about this relationship between the Asian and Black communities because, you know, I... I I want I just side tangent. I cannot wait to hang out with you guys in person because we've been talking about this and it's going to happen. But um, I could talk about all I want to investigate so much about all your careers and like everywhere you guys have been and the people you've met. I want to keep learning about this. But, you know, the thing that brought us together was this really tough 
moment in time and this tough subject matter of of racial tensions and like not even just tension, like all out violence and, you know, things that have been that have been in existence for a very long time. And Marcus, I can't even believe that you you arrived in L.A. on the day of the riots. Like, that's insane. Like, what can we make that movie? Also, another <laughs> tangent? That, and that's... it didn't scare me away. You know, what? if you think that's crazy, straight up, like my first year in college was during the O.J. Simpson trial. And then when I was in South Carolina, I don't know how many of you guys remember this, but there was a case. It was it took over the whole country. And it was a Susan Smith case where a white woman stated that a black man had uh, carjacked her car and kidnapped her kids. And she actually um, made the whole thing up. And there was a manhunt all over the state, people looking for a black guy that fit that description. And all you had to do was look at that nose and no, that's not a black person because her nose are not skinny and narrow. They're, they're wider and short, but um, she actually murdered her own kids because her lover um, that she was having an affair with did not want children. And so I just, I was surrounded by um, these racial monumental moments Mm -hmm. that happened. Um, You know, I used to get really upset when people would ask me like, Oh, do you think OJ did it? And I hate when people ask me questions that they already assume they know the answers to. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like, if you're black, Oh, I know you think he didn't do it, but I just want to see if you say he didn't do it. And I always thought that was weird how black and Brown and Asian and gays and whatever marginalized group that you uh, can name. It just seems like we're judged by the actions of one. Mm-hmm. But I've never once walked up to a white person and said, hey, Jeffrey Dahmer eats people. How does people taste? I don't assume you know that you are, you know, you're some crazy person eating people just because Jeffrey Dahmer did. Right. But when you're black, you're judged by the actions of one. And that, that always bothered me. I'm like, I'll be quite, quite transparent. You know, I was one of those kids that oftentimes growing up, I was too white for the black kids. And sometimes I was still too black for the white kids. And that's true. It's like, if you're a person that, if you don't say a certain type of slang, or if you don't wear a certain type of clothes, like, oh, you don't fit in. Mm -hmm. So if you don't fit in in that environment, and then you got the majority oftentimes telling you who you should be Mm -hmm. and how you should act, or you talk to them on the phone and then you, you, you meet them in person, they're like, oh, you're black? Oh, but you spoke so well. Those backhanded compliments yep. is not a compliment. Yeah. Those things take a toll on you. And then to give you one more tragedy porn, if I may, as soon as I was dealing with the OJ Simpson trial my first year in college, um, and you guys can look it up, the night that OJ Simpson was found not guilty in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, these two twins were out and, you know, maybe they were celebrating that, you know, in their minds, a black person finally got a win by the system. And this guy, Antoine Sedgwick, was hung by uh, on the jungle gym by some cops just because they were mad that he was celebrating the verdict. And then they said, no, he didn't. He, we didn't kill him. He committed suicide and got away with it. And I think Spike Lee, if I'm not mistaken, 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever, made a uh, HBO special about it. I've just seen so much racial hate in my Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. that for me to be the age that I am, which is still relatively young, most people think, oh, Obama became president. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. People love, everybody buys Michael Jordan shoes. Michael Jackson was the biggest artist ever. Oprah Winfrey is awesome. So there's no racism. Right. But for me to be the age that I am, I, I'm seeing things that you would think my grandmother may have seen. And it hasn't really deviated. We still have the same thing. We still have to teach our kids, if the cops pull you over, do this, this, and this, and this. And guess what? You still may come, come home in a body bag. Mm-hmm. Or we may never see you again. I don't understand a nation, and I said this on our podcast, where they say, I had no idea that this society is two different societies for people of color and for white people. Mm-hmm. I just can't believe it. This is not the America I know. And I'm not trashing America. I, we, we put as much effort, blood, sweat, and tears in this country as anybody. Black, brown, Asian, white, we all did. So for you to act like you're the only one that built this land, it's always been something that bothers me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do you not see it Unless you're just purposely willing to just like pretend that you're not having what you have because you were not only given a head start, you got to play an entirely different game and you got all the rules, you got extra cards, you know, <laughs> and you had somebody looking over my shoulder, tell me, telling you what, what, what um, hand I'm playing. And so, yeah, it's, it's sad. And, and I'll get off my soapbox with this. I think it's so important. That especially those of us that are marginalized, even if we don't agree with everything they say, if we don't stick together, we will become extinct because every day you turn on the news, another elderly Asian woman has been beat up in the street and not one person did anything. Not one person. And you see the video, even though it's grainy, you see 100 people, 72 of them are men. And I'll be like, where are the real men at? Hmm. Like, I'm like, there was a time that if you saw a woman going through some, any man would be like, yo, you're not going to sit here and abuse a woman. Like, where did, where did, where did, what happened to that society? So anyway, that's my soapbox. But I've seen a lot. I've been through a lot. I want things to change. And having the conversations on our podcast, being in a city like Los Angeles that's supposed to represent where the country should be headed mm-hmm. with a, a certain level of open-mindedness. And, and let me end on this thought. To every person on this who's listened to this podcast who's like, oh, you're from the South. Oh, my God, the South is so bad. Do not mistake New York, L.A., these big cities like they're any better. Mm-hmm. They just do a better job of disguising it. Do not ever believe that if you that only racist people are in the South, at least the people down South are blatant and you know who they are. When you come to the big cities, they pretend they're your friend. They pat you on the back and they're the very reason why you get fired. So do not be dismayed into believing that just one sector section of the country is bad. There's bad people everywhere, yeah. but there hopefully there's more good than bad. That's a lot. I know. No, thank thank you, Marcus. This is, um, I think, the reason why I've been so inspired and by what you you and BT have created on your podcast, and in the conversation that you welcomed me so passionately onto you into your space to have it meant so much to me it was just like a point of recognition is because I don't hear a lot of these conversations in public I I haven't had a lot of them even in private right and um there's a lot of that that needs to happen right now so I I just appreciate so much that you guys are here with me and that we, we can talk about this stuff and be real with our feelings because 
I have, I have, I've, I've been talking about the anti-Asian violence. I've been talking about at least, you know, in part about Black Lives Matter since everything happened last year. And it, there's so much reflecting that I've done on air and off about my own fears about speaking up on things that I feel like I'm not like, who am I to say anything? I was like, well, I'm a, I'm a citizen of this universe. <laughs> like I, I have thoughts and I, I have opinions and I have fears that I'm sure everybody else is feeling out there in some form or another too. Right. And there's a lot of silence and a lot of resentment and a lot of fear and burnt out exhaustion and just a lot of everything, right. That, that prevents us from crossing that line to talk, sit down and talk with one another, to share that openly with the world about how much this has taken such a strong toll on all of our souls and some more honestly like you're saying tragedy porn and people like talk about the oppression olympics i mean those are real things because people will sit there and compare like oh my plight has been worse than yours and and this and that and sometimes i i feel that too i'm like who am i to complain about my life i've been like privileged to be east asian in in california you know what i mean like i haven't experienced racism to this degree that other people have. So sometimes that's even kept my mouth shut, you know? So I've been processing a lot in, in, in real time. And I just appreciate you being able to be open about what you go through because I don't know, I just want to, I want, I want this to be more normal (laughs) and it hasn't been in my life. And I don't know about you guys, but we were noting that in your podcast about how much these conversations have not been in any way, like shared openly. Um, And BT, you are so just, I don't know. I just felt so safe talking about something that I felt really terrified about talking about when I spoke with you guys. And I want to thank both of you. Because BT, you are so the questions that you've asked and the research that you've done and and the free the free way that you, you know, shared your feelings in terms of your thoughts on allyship and everything, it really has meant a lot to me. So I'm curious if, you know, if you can reflect back, because I know that there's a little bit of cross pollinating we're doing on our our podcast and i wanted to do that because i would love for people who may not listen to your podcast to hear what we were saying um in light of what marcus just i mean i would love to hear your thoughts on on anything to be honest on on the anti-asian violence on this tension between these communities that have had a lot of similarities and a lot of differences i mean just could you bless us with your eloquence? Because I just love hearing you talk about these things. <laughs> no, so, Minji, um, to me, I, I, to me, fundamentally, it's about humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved out here, the first community that embraced me was the Korean community. So I have a boatload of Korean friends, South Korean friends, males. We played soccer together. We hung out together. They'll take me out and show me the city, right? If you've seen me, I have cheeks. And so there's one guy that is Korean that would swear up and down that one of my parents is Korean, right? And I'm like, Richard, it's not. He's like, I'm telling you, bro, you are. I'm telling you. I know my parents, right? But, and then, you know, there's another guy, um, Ty, that him and I ride bikes and, you know, we'll do these very long rides. And, you know, he'd really, he's the guy that kind of opened my eyes to like, you know, the Vincent Chin story. And he's just an eloquent, just a very good rider. And, you know, so we talk about a lot of things, but, you know, back to the Asian violence, I think to me, it's a mindset and it's not so much a mindset of, um, it's not a mindset of hate. 
that I to I don't really think people set out to hate Asians because mm-hmm. this is I think one of the words that we used in one of our conversations was the perception, right? Mm-hmm. Miscon you know misconceptions and perceptions and all these things. So to me, it's you know once you have a mindset of winning and you have a mindset of finite resources and you have a mindset of I'm better than like you're less than um you know the only way that I can rise is for you to get down mm-hmm. like once you have that kind of mindset you know you're you're taking time bomb you know cuz sooner or later somebody's gonna you know Minji's podcast is gonna do better right sooner or later Marcus is gonna get a project that you know he's gonna win you need to be somebody in life who actually enjoys other people winning. You need to be somebody in life who actually enjoys visiting with other people, right? So we, we this, this AAPI thing and BIPOC and all these terms that, you know, I think about and I'm like, I hear you, but I don't like to use it mm. because it, it, makes, it makes what you're talking about very generic, Right. So we're talking about Asians. I bet you if you take a microphone and go out to the streets and ask somebody, tell me a couple of countries in Asia, they're probably going to say China and that's it. Right. Tell me, tell me Africa. Where's Africa on the map? It's a country they'll be looking for. Right. So to me, it's really a thing about humanity and about looking at your neighbor and looking at your friend and looking at somebody and understanding that your plight is not any worse and your situation is not any better. Like we're always the one banana peel away from being the other person, regardless of who they are. Right. So if if you have that kind of mindset where you understand that I'm going through something right now, you know, I own a house. My house is $50 million. Let's use LA big houses in LA, right? (laughs) (laughs) I have a that a sounds about mi- L- that sounds LA right yeah right I have a fifty million dollar house but the guy that has an eight hundred thousand dollar house is maybe happier than I am and really does not care that I live in a fifty million dollar house and because we're individuals who have different set of circumstances if I can't make my mortgage and he can make his his or her mortgage they just made theirs and I didn't make mine. Right. So I, I think you have to start and this is not this is not a you, this is not a me. I think collectively until we get to a place. And I, I say this sometimes and when I think about it, I'm like, man, be prescriptive. Like don't have these high intellectual thoughts in your head. Like be prescriptive about what people should do and how people should think. But I say this and I always go back to the fact that if you can't see a fellow human being and want them to do well. If you can see a fellow human being and be respectful, if you can see an older Asian person being Mm -hmm. attacked and stand up and defend them, if you can't hold their hands and pick them up from the ground and wipe, wipe them off and like give them a hug, if you can't, that's not a reflection on them. That's not a reflection on society, right? The person, so some person somewhere attacked an older Asian woman and you're sitting in a building watching it. In my mind, you're just as culpable. Mm. That's what Mark has talked about. Mm-hmm. We cannot let that to happen, right? And this is where when we allow these things to happen, then the perpetrators who create the perceptions of what is and what is not 
they have that ability to come in and sow the bad seeds. They have that ability to come in and you feed on the cracks and feed on the scraps of what really divides us. Mm-hmm. And that's where I have a problem, right? Because I've always, you know, as, as, a, as a black man and as a minority, and for you as a woman of Korean descent, you've always had an awareness about you, right? You've yeah. always, um, this, I, I talked to, I was on a conference, Marcus, what was that? Friday last week? Mm-hmm. Some, yeah, some international, some conference, um, OMEC conference, it's like an international conference and we we're talking about working together and it was really around the African diaspora and there's a guy that works at Adidas. He said something that I thought about for a minute after he was done. He said, everywhere I go, his name was Kofi. He said, everywhere I go and I say something, um, people ask me, you know, where are you from? You know, what's your accent? What's this? And that he's like, well, what's happening without them realizing is that I'm becoming an insider in their world, but they know nothing about mine. Mm. So I'm inside out. I'm full inside. I'm full outside. So I'm okay with you doing that because I know that once I step out of this little place that you've created, you know nothing about me, mm. right? Mm. But you know, tying it back to, you know, what we're talking about, allyship and, you know, just supporting people and being human. Um, if we can't fight, if you cannot be pissed off about inequality, um, injustice, and all the inequities that we have in society, if you can't be mad that, there's somebody in the U.S. that falls over riding their bike. I ride my bike around the Rose Bowl and somebody will crash and a bone will be sticking out of their leg and the fire truck comes and the paramedics come and they refuse to get in there because they don't want to get the bill of 1800 They're like, hell no, I'm driving myself to the hospital. If <laughs> stuff like that cannot piss you off, you really need to reflect. You really need to think about it. But I- I'm kind of preaching about this, but these are the small things that, in my opinion, if we don't tie together as a society, if we don't tie together as a people, there's really no point in the U.S. going over to fight a war in Afghanistan or going over to fight a war in Iraq or going over to fight wherever you're going to defend other people's rights. Mm -hmm. That's very hypocritical Mm -hmm. because your core values are not aligned at home and you're really just going over there to gloss over a, a perception, air quotes, you're creating this perception of morality, of leadership, of moral, what's the word? You're creating all these fake narratives that you don't reflect yourself at home. Right. And home is where it starts. Right. right? So that's my thing. Allyship is everything. Um, defending the weak is everything. Um, standing up for what's right. Um, and it doesn't mean we always do it um, because we all fail, we all fall, we all have to learn, we all have to be um, humble, we're all going to make mistakes. But as long as we're sincere and as long as we keep thinking about the big picture and thinking about humanity as something that's collective and, you know, this is Earth Day, thinking about, you know, our footprint and what we do, all these things, you know, all the principles and, you know, they all come together and we need to insist relentlessly on on just being that you know otherwise it's a problem i just want to let that marinate i i 
the the thing that you said about humanity is so fundamental and and very beautifully simple and and just ironically and sadly it just kind of breaks my heart how hard that seems to be these days right like if it's about humanity which i agree you know we're all humans but we have come up with all these frameworks and perceptions and biases and prejudice of what a group of people are or are not or what uh someone's suffering is or is not compared to mine or and not even you know given all the chaos that we deal with on a daily basis especially now not bothering to understand the context or the humanity or the reality of somebody else that you you might villainize in your mind right because those 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 experiences and the the for example, like understanding the pain that has been caused in the black community by what happened during the L.A. riots. You know, I, I'm from the Bay Area and I'm a bit younger, so I didn't even understand the, the what was happening. I didn't learn about what was happening in the riots until the last like five years. And I've been part of the Asian-American community running, you know, advocating for our representation in media and not knowing even that part of the history of the place I now live in. Right. Like. Yeah. Not understanding the context of why these perceptions exist and where all this pain is driven from and what was the truth of the matter behind that. Because when I hear about that, the the riots from depending on who I'm asking, the really different narratives, right? Different experiences and different um, wounds that have been like held on to for a number of years. And that's just solidified into hate in some people, Right. Saying like, oh, you know, and, and like Marcus was mentioning earlier, like based on the actions of one person, basically painting an entire community, entire race of people to be one way. Right. Yeah. And I think given the fact that we're all also in the entertainment industry and impacting the way that stories get told, not even the way that they get told, but which ones get told. And to what degree of production value they get told or, you know, what platforms they get distributed on. I mean, this is a, it's an industry and those decisions make a really big impact at the end of the day of who gets to see what, when and what they're going to walk away with. Right. To reflect on my existence as an Asian American person, you know, I didn't exist. I haven't really existed in the American narrative, in my opinion. Right. And I've been aware of that to a degree, like knowing that people are going to walk around thinking that I'm either a nerd or a geisha. Like those were what were, what were available to me. And otherwise I didn't exist. You really shouldn't laugh at that. But that it's so, it's true. so, it's so sad that it's, it's so sad and yet very easy that you get put into this box. Yeah. And, and no, and there's not adequate thought around why or why not. Right. Because there's something you said, you said in there that like stuck with me talking about the hate. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, hate, hate's like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's really what it is. Like you, you hate somebody and they don't know you hate them and they don't care you hate them. Guess what? You're just building deposits of something that's not serving you in any way, shape or form. That's one. The other thing that you said, Minji, was around you not knowing until five years ago. But the difference between that 
and the other person that took a curated opinion and ate it was that you had an open mind to want to know. You had an open mind to want to listen. You went to places that you were uncomfortable, right, to listen, right? You, you hear the stories of, um, as a matter of fact, I heard somebody talking about it where they were saying with everything that's been happening lately and, you know, everything is about diversity. Oh, African-Americans, there's Asians that it's making them uncomfortable. Like, how am I going to, how am I able to talk about this when, you know, every meeting we get to or every conversation, they want to talk about violence against Asian-Americans and, you know, African-Americans, this and that. It's like, it's making me uncomfortable. I'm like, in my head, mm. I'm thinking like, really? Um, you're uncomfortable for having the conversation let's just say a thousand times. And that person that's talking to you has lived for yeah. 500,000 days. Yeah. Do you think the minute they had consciousness, you think they weren't aware of the color of their skin or their position and the uh, remarks yeah. that people make and touching their nose and touching their hair or assuming that they had to be some kind of nerd or geisha. Like you think that person hasn't lived with that their whole life for you to have it for five days and feel uncomfortable. Like what kind of privilege is that? Like good for right. you. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, My, you can have that. I'm sorry, Benji, you want to go ahead? No, and say go something? ahead. I was just going to throw shade. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's deserve it to be, to be thrown. Uh, you know, I think when you're in a position of power, you know, when I hear people say, and you see this online all the time, especially if, the person is maybe poor and they're not affluent and they're like, Hey, you know, I don't have any privilege. I live in a trailer park. My parents work X, Y, Z number of jobs. I'm, I mean, it's not like I took something from the Asian community. I didn't take anything from the black community. I'm just a poor white person living paycheck to paycheck. So wh- why do you get all the special attention? And I always ask myself, okay, let me put myself in their shoes. Like, And I do get where they could come from because they automatically assume we're only talking about people who grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth. But the difference is, and I'm from those towns, those little bitty rural towns, and I've seen some of these same poor, you know, down they look white folks who drive their pickup trucks. They got their rifle in the back of the (laughs) driver's seat. Mm -hmm. And on Saturday night, they go and have a couple of six packs and they're swerving on the road. I have seen the cops follow them home without arresting them to make sure they get home safely. Hmm. The difference is I could literally never drink because I don't drink. That's just not my thing. So I've never drunk. And I could literally follow every every single traffic uh, sign and rule. And just because you pull up on me, and you give me the stink face, you stare at me like you want a reaction. And then I, I come up with a look on my face like, why are you looking at me like that? That's enough for me to get pulled over and not come home to my family. Mm-hmm. And that is the difference. When all things are equal, they've never been equal. Right. And when I hear people say, well, why are Asians complaining? They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're this, they're that. <laughs> The they minority, they right? didn't do it because you allowed them to. They did it in spite of what you did to them. I don't know if any any race in this country is more beaten down as far as persecuted and chastised than black folks. That's mm-hmm. my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. But I don't think any group of people are more marginalized as far as being invisible and treated like they don't exist 
than the Asian community. Do not tell me one is worse than the other because they both hurt. One, every time I see you, I think I should beat you or you're going to steal from me or you're going to rob me. The other one is I don't even see you. I don't have to care about you. You're just here. The arrogance in which both of them displaces on, on two different communities is still really, really genuinely painful. And I think that's what's so important because I've heard black people say, and I, I believe in being, like I said earlier, transparent. When we talk about black and Asian relations, I think so many black people, even though they uh, are seen because, you know, people copy their cultures or they want to dance like them or play sports like them. Mm-hmm. A lot of times black people still feel invisible. And I had this conversation with uh, one of my good friends and he is uh, also Asian. He was like, how can black people feel invisible? I was like, I'll tell you how. If Usher comes out tomorrow with a new album, and let's say he sells a million records, and maybe Usher's not the best example because he's always already a really big star, but Justin Timberlake, if you find a white person who sounds or have a talent similar to that of that, of that black person, he'll sell 10 million records. You look at jazz. Look at all these things. Who's one of the best, who's the best selling rapper of all time? It's Eminem. Mm-hmm. If you can find a white counterpart who can do something as well as a black person, that person will always sell more. And I have no disrespect to the Christina Aguilera's and the Ariana Grande's. They are extraordinarily talented. Mm-hmm. Zero hate towards them. Mm-hmm. But I can go out here and find you a black girl who is just as, I'm not going to say more, but just as talented, and she will sell a fraction of the records. It's like, you may want our butts, you may want our style, you may want our coolness, you may want all those things, but you don't want our struggle. And the world we live in today is that sometimes, I I know Black people say this, white people want that too. They not only want to have the money, they want to have the butts now, they want to have a body like yours, they now want your struggle too. They don't really want to go through your struggle, but they want to say, well, I'm going through something too. And that's why people cheat to get into colleges, even though their parents are multimillionaires, <laughs> because they got to come up with a fake struggle because they's like, you can't have that carte blanche. I want that too. And that's the difference. And I know I'm going down something, but somebody is listening to me and they're like, oh, I didn't think about that. That is true. <laughs> they do want to the struggle. They don't want to go through the struggle. They want to claim the struggle. Oh, I went through so much. I didn't have everything. You know, my dad bought me a Beetle and I really should have got a three series. Like sit down somewhere. (laughs) So Marcus, Marcus to that, I I think, I think the point, there's a, there's a very broad point you made that Minji touched on. So part of it is really this whole aspect of pain, right? Which is, you know, would say, listen to people's pain sincerely. Like when it, when a, when somebody's crying about missing a meal and it's another person that's crying about not having a meal for a week or having one meal in a week and they're very happy to God that they had that meal. Like somewhere in the back of the head, the pain is like just about the same, right? You, you listen to them in a way that makes them feel seen and heard. This is the whole invisible thing, right? So I, I'll give you an example and then I pass this thing back to Minji. But talking about, you know, the Black and Asian um, relationship and just the importance of allyship. One of the things that I did, like I said, when I moved to LA, the community that embraced me the quickest 
well, South Korean, like there's a bunch of dudes that I hung with forever. When all these violence started, we're in a, like a chat group. I individually texted a lot of them. I said, hey, man, I feel your pain. And, you know, I see you. I hear you. I hope you're doing great, right? The responses that I got back, the depth to them, right? You, like I, I was sitting there thinking, so like, wow, what if I didn't? And if anything, you know, this is, to me, that's what allyship is about. You know, to me, that's what, I'm not saying I'm some saint because God knows. <laughs> I second that notion. I second that notion. I fourth that notion. <laughs> if I were to show up at the gates of heaven now, they might send me back. <laughs> I'd be like, Satan may not take you, bro. Go back and clean up some of that dirt. But I, I think what it is is like really be intentional about. Empathy, mm-hmm. be intentional about humanity, reach out to people, like put your pain aside. Don't tell somebody that, oh, mine hurts more than it, it hurts. There's no denying it hurts. The thing that Marcus talked about, this awareness of being pulled over by cops and all of that. And we don't need to hop on that. Like every black male or black woman um, can tell you that. Um, they have a story somewhere. Will Smith has stories that Marcus actually told me that story about Will Smith and him getting pulled over. And it doesn't matter who you are, where LeBron had his house, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody came to his house and spray painted N-word on it or something to that, right? But I, I think what it is is really that ability to reach out, you know, offer a hand, offer an ear. It doesn't cost you anything, but this is how people get outside of themselves. This is how you get outside of yourselves. This is the little things that it's the most selfish thing to be kind. That is the most selfish thing you can do to yourself. Be kind. Like mm-hmm. it does so much more to you than the person you're kind to, because in a weird way, we get that fulfillment, that reward yeah. of having reached out to somebody. You volunteer somewhere and they don't pay you, but you do it over and over and over because it's fulfilling, right? So um, I, I, I'm handing this back to Minji, but I just wanted to say if, if there's a call to action, if there's something that you know I'd say to be prescriptive and not just be broadly intellectual about it is reach out. They don't have to be your friend. They don't have to be your neighbor. They just have to go to your email list and type A and see everybody's name that pops up and find that one Asian friend, like people like, oh, I have a black friend. Oh, I haven't, find yours. Text them, call them, just say, hey, how you doing? How are things going? I know it's crazy. And you'd be surprised at the knowledge they'll throw back at you. You'd be surprised at the depth of their emotions. Like I didn't know the wealth disparity in the Asian community because I was all bought into this model minority thing. Mm-hmm. There are places in, in, in Southern California that we all know that are like very vibrant, you know, affluent Asian communities. And that's what we think. But by reaching out, I learned so much more. I had to go do a boatload of research to find out, you know, the Chinese massacre, People versus Hall, Vincent Chin, LA riots, like percentage of violence increase, you know, um, Chinese Exclusion Act. So all these things I had to learn. But I only really embraced it because somebody's told me, dude, this thing started a long time ago. Yeah. And I think I'm a better person for it. 
And I want to thank you for that, BT, because in in the in this universe of life, we are all dealing with our own struggles, right? Our plates are very, very, very full. It's kept full by a lot of things, especially now. And there's a lot of things that are spreading us thin emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, and those small acts that in my mind are not small at all. Those are the big things of like stepping outside of your bubble and your space to extend a hand or just a text can be incredibly impactful for somebody else. It can really like kind of burst that bubble of like, oh, there are people outside that think of me, that care about me, that, um, that this has any relevance to, and that, that can take away so much pain just in that moment because you're not alone. And there's a, there's a lot of uh, issues within the Asian American community that have been going on as, as diverse and as huge and varied and, you know, different as we are even within the Asian American community and understanding how we are not a monolith that that's education that we are providing for one another right now there's a lot of awakening I think that's happening in light of all of this um the struggle and and contextualizing our struggle in 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 you know proximity to other people's struggles and how the things that we've been programmed to do maybe by these things like the Chinese exclusion act, the model minority myth, Japanese internment, like all these things that have been kind of conveniently erased out of our history books and out of our lives while we learn about Paul Revere and we learn about, you know, every every white hero and villain that ever, you know, was part of this, but to learn about ourselves and understand the roles that we have played and that we can play. There's a lot of just awakenings happening all over the place right now in light of all this pain. And so I've heard, you know, conversations from black uh, clubhouse rooms that I've listened to about feeling that there were people that have really wonderfully felt so compelled to stand up and be an ally for the Asian American community. And those that that don't feel at all obligated and feel and been very frank about their um, their feelings of pain and resentment. And I, I wanted to hear all of it. And all of that educated me. And there's parts that I bring back to the Asian American community that we're having all these different conversations about, like, well, how have you shown up for others as well? That's stuff that I've personally felt compelled to, like, discuss more openly, even though I'm because I'm a people pleaser and I hate like or I have been a people pleaser. and I don't like when people don't like me, but I know that I'm ruffling feathers and I'm just deal with people that cry a river when the Asian community has been in pain. I was like, have you acknowledged anybody else's pain ever? Like, have you shown up in any tangible way? to, you know, be there on behalf of somebody else to check their privilege too, because we've had ours as well. Right. And so it's a, it's a mix of everything and it's wildly uncomfortable. It's very painful in and of itself to like recognize our own privileges or our own actions that have lended itself to like being where we are. It all sucks, but I'm just grateful that there are people out there that I continue to meet that prove me, that prove my fears wrong. That whenever I get doubtful of like, oh, people don't care, we're on our own, Uh, we don't deserve other people's allyship, or even if we did in some way deserve, quote unquote, like, I don't know if we could even ask for that or it it would be there. It's there. And I'm constantly humbled by that. So if I could just share one story, too, that I I was like, we talked about so many great things with one another, but um, one of the key moments that revealed something very important for me about why I do the work that I do um, 
that I did with collaboration, which was the nonprofit that I was executive director of. Um, we put on these showcases to just show the diversity of Asian American talent. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to just show our own community and whoever else wanted to come to our shows that we have swagger, we have sexiness, we have humor, we're awkward, like all the very different versions of Asian American talent, right? Through singing and dancing and comedy and just having a good time in these showcases all across North America. I had been part of collaboration for at least eight or nine years already. And when I went to a a show in Atlanta, this was my first time going to a collaboration Atlanta show. And this was me first for the first time really seeing like how Asian Americans and how the Southern community gets down. (laughs) It was one of the best nights of my freaking (laughs) life. I cannot even like find words for it. And one of the reasons why just not even the energy that was there, the, the, the different Asian Americans that I had never seen, like, dance and sing and move like that like it was truly just so so great the show in and of itself was great half the crowd in that room it was it was a smaller venue but it was like 300 400 people right half of the room were asian american audience members and the other half were like everybody else and that was the most i'd ever seen in terms of diversity of the audience because a lot of the audience members would be asian americans or friends and family right but these were like there were black latinx like brown and and white friends that were all coming just to have a good time and so the energy in that room was immaculate i cannot <laughs> hype that up enough cuz it was just so good and i was hosting that night i was at mc so experiencing that in and of itself and just looking out into the crowd, being on a stage and seeing how excited everybody was and how supportive and how um, the good that vibes were in there. It was great. But at the end of the night, um, a young man, he stuck around because we're all cleaning out. Right. We got to clear out of the, the venue and um, put away all the cords and the microphones and everything like that. And I'm just riding this high, you know, the adrenaline is wearing off and I'm getting really tired, but I'm elated. And this this young guy, Julian. Uh, I still remember I follow him on Instagram. He was he's a young black man and he was a journalist. He still is a journalist. But at that night, he was doing a freelance journalist uh, gig for, I think, the local CBS to cover the show. And he was he was still like riding the good energy. And he was just like singing our praises and came up to me and he had his microphone in his hand. He's like, Minji, this was one of the best nights. Like, I didn't know Asians got down like this. Oh my God. Like, this is so dope. When are you doing your next show? Can I be there? And like, he was just so great. And we're having a great time, like introducing ourselves to one another. And he was like, can you for, you know, on record for the microphone, he's like, can you tell me like, why are you part of collaboration? Like, why do you uh, care so much to like, you know, advance Asian representation? I just want to get this on record. And it was the first time I realized that I'd had a direct like face-to-face conversation with a black person about collaboration, like in that format, when he asked me that question, I was like thinking about who I'm speaking to and it was him. And I said, I was, and I was just like really tired. And when you get in that tired space, you're kind of like, almost like, uh, truth serum like almost like you're drunk <laughs> like it's all just like tumbling out of me but like he and I had just had this really great connection and I was like and I just almost started crying and I was like Julian I grew up watching tv shows and movies and listening to music from everybody else except me and like I feel like standing here in front of you like I feel like I know you 
pretty like in terms of like where you come from, what problems you might have had in this country, um, the variations of like black culture like I've grown up on that and I it fed my soul when I felt invisible like when I was dealing with heartbreak you know I was listening to every diva under the sun you know I was listening (laughs) to Whitney and I was listening to Monica and I've been listening to Brandy and like crying my heart out through every breakup and you know every feeling myself day through like this music and listening to hip-hop and dancing to this at every school dance and watching the movies and like laughing and crying with you you know I felt like that growing up and I looked at it I was like I just want you to try to like I just want you to know me too I just I would love if you could know where I come from and what I'm about and how I am the way I am and I just started crying human (laughs) connections he just went silent right and he was we were on this really big high and he just looked at me and he's like Minji, whatever you need from me, like whatever I can do to support you, I want to help you achieve what it is you want to achieve. And like, it was just one of the most beautiful moments of my life. And it clarified why I cared so much about collaboration. I was like, I just want us to matter. I want us to be seen for who we are the same way I can see other people and celebrate them and feel their pain, you know, and like, understand what contributions they've put and like how villainous they can be even like, we have some crazy ass stories in the Asian community. Like we have so much drama <laughs> that I was like, this is good TV. You know, I don't care about race or ethnicity. This is just entertaining stuff. And so like it really encouraged me. And I'll remember that moment forever. And I, I thank Julian to this day and I follow him. He's a dad now. Like uh, he married the love of his life since then. And he's he's got a baby girl that's like a year old. I I thank him to this day for taking the time to be there, to be hype with us, and then to ask me that question, because it literally made a lot of things make sense after, in like a soul way, not even just intellectual. So So, that's so beautiful. You know what, Niji, that you have, uh, it's your show. I I just want to throw one thing out at you, because your story just uh, elicited some some emotions from me. If I can leave your show... Uh, whenever we decide to shut it down, I just want to say to the Asian community um, on behalf of a lot of the black community, I'll never say all because you can't change everybody's ways and thoughts and so forth. We see you. um, We hear you. Our heart goes out to you. Um, I really believe in the world that we've had the last year, Um, the administration we used to have, um, the way the news has become so slanted and so much slander, so much libel, it's been designed to uh, put a wedge between us. Now, maybe I'm a rose-colored glasses kind of guy, but I still believe that the majority of people on this earth are good people. Mm -hmm. We need to remind ourselves of that sometimes, and sometimes it's extraordinarily difficult. And I'll be the first to admit it, I get tired of seeing people who look like me getting killed. Mm -hmm. I get tired of seeing people who look like you getting killed and beaten up for no reason. But I will say this, there's more in common between us than there is apart. Mm -hmm. And I know I hate when people say they don't see color. Not only do I see it, I run to it because I want to see, I want to hear your stories. I want to know your legacies. You know, I've made a point because before you and I ever met, I wanted to know more about the Asian culture because I didn't have that. Where I came up, there was only white and black there. So I've taken the time, I've traveled to Japan, uh, Taiwan, I've been to Vietnam, and I got to tell you, 
I was treated better there than I am here a lot of times. And that's not, that's not pontification. That's, that's real. That's 100% real. And I, I just want to say, I see the hurt. It scars me. My brother is in education and diversity. My mom was a social worker for 30 something years. When I watch a sport, I don't watch black football. I don't watch Asian basketball. I just watch the sport because that's what I love. So if you say you love people, stop getting caught up with how, what color they are mm. or what their sexual orientation is. Because quite honestly, I don't really care who you sleep with. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care whether you eat with a fork or you eat with chopsticks. I don't care. You know, I just don't get caught up with that. And I, I think it's so important for people to step back for a moment. And in every marginalized community has been decimated by lies and, and, and just purposely putting wedges between us. At what point in time do we say enough is enough? So to your listeners, whether they're white, if you heard something I said and you're like, oh, there's somebody else blaming white people. If you feel offended, you should be offended. If you don't feel offended, guess what? That means I wasn't talking about you. Because when I hear somebody say, hey, N-word, I don't, I don't turn around because you called my name. I, I turned around to make sure, see how fast you are, because you might, you better be faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that being said, I, it's, I, I end it with this for me. I, I genuinely, I'm going to hit you with a Michael Jackson moment. I genuinely love all people. I've been in human capital for 20 years. You don't find people jobs and, and deal with people all day, every day for almost 20 years. If you don't like people, mm. I don't care if you're qualified, if you're kind, if you're willing to understand and listen and have empathy, the word that BT keep using, if you don't have empathy, you're dead within, you know, I just, I can't deal with that type of thing. I've gotten to the point where the news is just not a safe place for me because mm. I take, I'm a very heavily conscious person. I don't think I'm an emotional person, but I think that's also bad because I can be devoid of emotion and just kind of hold all that stuff in. I don't want to be that person. And I hope people will take from this podcast and our podcast on Culture Score that here we are. You have an African-American male from the South. You have uh, a true African-American from Cameroon by way of Minnesota, by way of uh, Urbana, Illinois, by way of Los Angeles. And you have a Korean American by way of the Bay Area to Los Angeles. And we just talked on, on two podcasts for its totality, probably close to three hours. And there's nothing but love here. Nothing but love. That's all you're going to get. I don't look at Mindy as, Minji as, oh, this is my Asian friend. No, that's, that's, my, that's my Asian sister. That's my Korean American sister. If she <laughs> needs me, I'm here. That's what it should be. And so if you're not there, the problem is on you. It's not on us. And, it, and I know there's been a lot of hurt from the Asian community to the Black community, from the mm -hmm. Black community to the Asian community. What we're saying to you tonight is that let's take the bandit off. Mm. Let's let it, let's let the wounds get some air. Let's let them scab up and heal and let's, let's progress. Let's move forward. Mm. And that's, I hope that means something to somebody out there because I see you, I feel your pain. I want better for you. I want better for everyone. And I don't look at you as competition. I look at you as inspiration. If you can do it, I can do it. 
that's what I, that's how I see it. So I hope that means something to somebody and uh, I hope we can just do better. Mark. <laughs> Thank you. BT, do you have anything you want to close us out with? That was, I just need a moment. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. That was extremely beautiful. That's Mark because he's from the South. He's deep. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, but I mean, what can you say? What can you add to that, right? My thing really is, um, as one thing Mark has said about, you know, not getting stuck on who people are. Um, I'll put an extension to that and say, actually get stuck in. Um, you know, there's a story about this, a guy I work with, he's Korean and he went to visit and he came back and he had pictures, you know, with his food and all the places he visited and all of that. And, you know, and some of the pictures that were eating, like, um, let me just say the food that he was eating is not American. And somebody was like, oh, my God, why would you eat that? It's alive. It's that. It's that. You know, it's like to that and and to what we're talking about today, allyship, like find a soul, um, you know, discover your ability to listen, discover mm-hmm. your ability to visit with other people. This is not about you. Right. It's really about the person that's standing in front of you. It's really about the person that you're talking to. It's not about reinforcing your values. It's about understanding the other person's values. Mm. You know, smile, laugh, be human, find friends, colleagues, family, strangers, you know, be open. You know, find your soul, live a little. That's what it is. That's what it's about. You just live a little. It's not about you. The world does not revolve around you. And if you really think the world revolves around you, then um, <laughs> you're going down the path that <laughs> you can't come back from. So that, that's that'll be it for me. But Minji, thanks very much. Um, we're allies, you know, we're friends, we're brothers, um, and and this is about us. Yeah. This is about being together. So thank you both. It, it truly means the world. And um, thank you for inviting me into your space to to share my thoughts. I don't remember half of what I said because I went off on some impassioned rant, but I hope it, you know. Uh, that was something. You hit him with a lot of. Listen to it. Yes, it was that a lot was of truth. sermon. Truth bombs coming up in here. Just lethal lefts and ruthless rights. Listen just to battering it. folks. <laughs> well, because I'm like, I'm like getting upset. I'm getting, I'm learning things that I'm like, again, breaking the mold in my mind of like, I didn't know this. And I didn't, and now I'm, I'm processing a lot. And I think that's all of us. So I think there's a, a level of grace that we can give ourselves because I, 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 I say this because I think of my father all the time of like how stubborn of a man he's been my entire life, but he's even changed a lot, especially in the last, you know, five to 10 years becoming an older man. And those are always like, I, I see these really beautiful pieces of evidence in my own life and in myself of our ability to continue to grow and evolve, right? I there. If you had asked me 10 years ago if my dad could have a civil conversation with me and support my career in entertainment, I would have laughed at you. I would have <laughs> told you to leave. Like, I'm like, don't tell me. Don't fill my head with some insane non-truths that's never going to happen. Stop giving me hope. And here we are. You know what I mean? Like, my dad's encouraging me whenever I talk to him to write and to help to tell me to impact the world. And I never thought we could be here. You know, so crazy things happen, y'all. Like, <laughs> we we all change. We all grow. And and conversations and and being honest and being patient. You know, figuring out the ways that we want to 
behave, all those things can make, it, it does make a difference. And I, I just, I, I'm really excited by the fact that I, I feel it in my heart that we planted some really good seeds today. Um, I feel strengthened, even though I'm like at the top, we're just like, oh, it's been a long day, guys. And it's a long <laughs> week. But to feel like I have more fuel in my tank is really, really precious now. And you you both have done that for me. So thank you very, very much for taking right, the time. Same to you. Same to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And we'll keep listening. And uh, I am I, already inviting you back because I want to talk about movies and I want to talk about more about like you know, because it, it's a continuation of what we're talking about today, um, how we're creating more gateways for humanity to be experienced. And I want to have fun doing it. And you know, there's so many good stories out there that we can turn into to films, into podcasts, into whatever, you know, like I would love to continue to uh, imagine with you guys. So hey, anytime, anytime. And you're welcome to Culture Score anytime. And anytime you'll have us, we will be here. Thank you. Can you plug Culture Score? And uh, I'll definitely include all the links in the description and whatnot in socials. But uh, if you want to share here, where can people find you guys as individuals and your work if you care to share? Hey, BT, I'll let you take that one. You're a hype man. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find Culture Score. You can find Culture Score, you know, wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. Um, a social media handle for our podcast is um, Speak. S-P-E-A-K-D-O-T studio. So speak dot studio all spelled out. And our individual handles, if you want to follow me, my IG, my social media is very lame. I'm very private. So you're going to have to really follow me. But it's <laughs> T-U-B-U-O-B-E. So it's T-U-B as in boy, U as in uniform, O as in Oscar. T-U-B-U-O-B-E. That's at T-U-B-O-B-E. Marcus, what's yours? At GPS underscore CEO? That's me. Okay. He knows me better than I know me. It took me a long time to get on social media because I like to hide <laughs> in the bushes. But now he's brought me out into the limelight. So welcome. Love it. Seven, I'll help five. him. <laughs> 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 it's going to be a trip when I meet up with you, Marcus. I'm, I'm only 5'1". I'm teeny tiny, so. Oh, well, I'm almost, I'm, I'm over 6'4", so get ready. Yeah. Marcus's, Marcus's shoe is size 24. <laughs> Oh he my god. <laughs> uh, you see and it's matching too. It's matching with his shirts oh, all the time. I remain agile, you know. That's like <laughs> the, the, we work with what we have. And I was like, okay, so I'm smaller. That means I gotta be quick. So you know, it's, it's all good. Oh, we'll, gosh. we'll figure it out. Mar but Marcus will not wear a shoe that doesn't match his shirt. So if he's wearing Oh my God. <laughs> Look, I like to coordinate. Yes, coordinate that outfit. It's got that southern charm. Southern oh, gosh, it's here so we go. Great. It's so good. But uh, so much love for you both. And we'll definitely be plugging your show. And we'll, we're excited for future conversations. But I thank you all. So, thank you both yeah. for being here. Thank you. Yeah, Have a wonderful you night. You too. Thank you guys for tuning in for this week's episode of First of All with BT and Marcus from Culture Score. Thank you both of you for being such amazing guests. Thank you for your vulnerability, for your courage, for your support. I appreciate it. Please go check out their podcast, Culture Score. I truly enjoy their conversations and they go over some really important things. So if you enjoy this conversation, I mean, it's just a little snippet of what they have to offer. 
go check them out and follow them. They're on all the podcast platforms. I have to do a shout out for my Patreon patrons. Thank you guys so much for helping me keep this microphone on and for me uh, to feel so encouraged to keep creating these episodes for all of you. Um, if you'd like to become a Patreon patron, you can go to patreon.com slash first of all podcast. And my shout out for the patron of the week is George Yang. George, uh, you are hilarious. I appreciate your creativity. This guy is out in Austin, Texas and we got to actually meet up and, and kick it a few years ago and George I just appreciate your belief and first of all just how enthusiastic you've been about this podcast and how consistently you've been keeping me going and also George I've watched him change and blossom so much from working in the corporate sphere which he does but also becoming a writer and getting his stuff published and we've been able to I don't know just like experience a lot of this creative maturing together so it's been really great so thank you George for being a patron thank you for being a friend I appreciate you so much and I'd like to thank Marvin Yue my audio engineer and producer thank you Marv for keeping first of all going thank you to Juliana Deer for just supporting me in this channel creation in general I love you and uh, if you enjoyed this episode please leave a five star review I'd really appreciate it we broke a hundred 100 reviews I think last week which is crazy and um, yeah every single one I read them all guys and I appreciate all the encouragement it's just wonderful so thank you please subscribe and leave a five star review it helps other people find the podcast and uh, yeah you can reach me at firstofallpod at gmail.com follow me on Instagram at firstofallpod or Minjeezy and or Minjeezy and uh, yeah you can find me on Potluck Podcast Collective which is a collective of Asian American podcasters and storytellers go check out some of the other shows they're hilarious insightful brilliant go, go enjoy and without further ado thank you for listening to this episode we're closing this out with Stop the Hatred by MC Jin and the legend Wyclef Jean they're both legends it's amazing uh, I hope you enjoy the song thank you for tuning in and I'll talk to y'all soon I love you. Stay safe. Away at the top of last year At the funeral drowning Cause I couldn't hold back tears But after all that's happened this past year Part of me sees grace in the fact that she's not here As a grandson this statement's a fact No elderly should ever be victim of such a heinous attack Pray on the weak, only cowards would take advantage of that No more staying meek, it's time to take a stand and react A simple trip to the market Thought the streets were safe, turned targets I speak up for my people's sake From this pandemic, I'm hopeful that we'll see escape Until then, love's the only vaccine for hate now when my folks leave the house, it's quite the norm My mind's flooded with thoughts of what might go wrong Truthfully, I wish I didn't have to write this song But it's only right I recite it since this mic is on
massacre. It don't matter if you black and white. Says the man in the mirror. The squad's facing the terror. I'm talking mother, father, sister, brother, grandma, and grandpapa. All doomed because of skin color. Paranoid like my mind playing tricks on this ghetto boy. So I got to scream for my mama like I'm George Floyd. Now I'm all in linen like John imagining. But he ain't give peace a chance. He took eight lives with him. Listen to your pops. I said, don't fall for the bait. The actions of a few don't reflect the nature of an entire race. Maybe the past is full of lessons, but we missed it. History shows indeed tension has existed between the two communities. But here's a fact beyond colors, we're humans, not just yellow or black like Chris Rock. I ain't liberal or conservative inside. I just know the enemy would love to further the divide. Media don't care how the story is told. They're more concerned with how the story is sold. Preconceived notions make it harder to see. Together, there's much power. Rush hour, look at Carter and Lee. Hopefully through dialogue, we'll start to agree. More light for you doesn't make the world darker for me. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.